Welcome to Cannabis Health Radio, a podcast where we share stories from people around the world who are using cannabis as medicine. The information is meant to raise awareness about the health benefits of cannabis, which should not be taken as medical advice. Now, here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to the Cannabis Health Radio Podcast. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Ellen. Today we have a fascinating story for you with Kelly and Rick Hoff from Oklahoma. Kelly was first diagnosed with a brain tumor in the year 2000 and had to deal with that issue for well over a decade. And Rick was diagnosed with a high PSA count, which can be a warning sign that you have prostate cancer. And having educated themselves about cannabis oil over the years, today they are both healthy and they join us to tell their story. Guys, thanks for doing this. How long have you two lovebirds been married? Oh, gosh. Um, I guess 39 years. Come on, Rick. you got to have a faster answer than that. Oh, <laughs> I guess it was uh, 39 years. Okay, great. I believe in Now, let's... <laughs> Kelly, when you were first diagnosed with a brain tumor in the year 2000, what symptoms were you experiencing that uh, caused you to seek medical advice? So I, um, so it was typical for me to have headaches, but I woke up one morning with a really severe headache, and it just progressively got worse through the day. And it, you know, like I said, I typically have headaches, so that wasn't unusual. But this one was what I would say, you know, up in the eight. You know, where I was just laying there in bed and holding my head. And so uh, Rick took me into the urgent care clinic and um, pretty much insisted that they do a CT scan since he knew I was used to headaches. And uh, so we did. We went over to the hospital and did a CT scan. And uh, when we came back over to the urgent care, that's when they told us they'd found a uh, about a ping pong size tumor in my brain. Did you have any inclination prior to them telling you that, that you may have a brain tumor? No, I don't think so. Any uh, no. No, she just it, had a history of headaches, and this one was significantly uh, more intense, and I could, I could tell it was different than the rest, so um, we were a little more aggressive with it. Now, tell us what the recommendation from the medical community was with respect to your tumor. Well, so at first, <clears throat> excuse me, at first I thought um, it could possibly be a cyst, but they weren't sure. <clears throat> so they sent me to Oklahoma City. We live in a uh, college town of Stillwater. So I went to the Oklahoma City and did another MRI and talked to a doctor there. And he said, no, I'm pretty sure it's a, a brain tumor. And he wanted to do surgery right away. Um, but I wasn't having any other symptoms. And I don't know, just, I don't know if I was just too scared to do that without, I don't know what, but I just, in my, I don't know, I just felt like that wasn't for me at that time. Mm -hmm. so I asked him what my other options were. And he was like, well, we could do a biopsy, but if you're going to do a biopsy, you might as well just do surgery. There's a lot of the same risks involved. So um, 
I finally just said, well, what would be my other option? And he kind of got a little irritated with me and said, well, if you don't get it out, then you'll need to do MRIs every three months and watch it. And I said, okay, that sounds good. <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, if something happens, and I start having symptoms or seizures or whatever, you know, I could readdress it at that point. But right then I thought, why cause issues that I don't really have right now? So, so you were getting you were getting MRIs every three months and for the next three years. What was that period like for you guys? Well, it pretty much changed a lot of our life. We go around uh, normal for about three months, and then you know the night before the MRI, I'd start getting really stressed and just knowing that you know this could be it, everything could change now because you know we just kind of went back to our normal life. My girls were twelve and I think nine and twelve. So they were still young and, um, you know, still needed me around. And so, uh, yeah, so we just started doing MRIs every three months. And it was a little stressful knowing that any moment things could change. But uh, each one came out stable. Nothing was changing. Did you um, continue to get those really severe headaches then, the one that was kind of different from the other ones? Or did that fade away? That faded away, and actually, like, a few days after that, I came down with, like, this bird flu that had been going around, and um, that was one of the symptoms. So I think it was just, you know, a coincidence that they did the MRI or the CAT scan then and found the tumor, because typically these type of tumors are found when you have a seizure, and I had never had a seizure. And then I went and got the flu right after that. Okay. So I think that's what caused the headache. Where in the brain was this tumor? And did they say what kind of brain tumor it was? Well, at this point, they didn't know mm-hmm. um, because they didn't have the pathology, but it's in the, it was in the left frontal lobe. Thank you. So the communication area of the brain. Now, in 2003, uh, there was evidence that the tumor was growing, and there was also evidence of a second tumor. Take us through that. Yes. um, Somewhere, uh, one of the um, brain scans along the way discovered the second tumor, and it was deeper in the brain, and they were considering that inoperable. Um, the other one, the, the large one was pretty much on the outside of the brain. It was fully contained. Um, and that's why they thought it may be a cyst at first. Um, Mm -hmm. but it was easy access. And so those were some of the reasons where I decided, well, let's just wait and watch it. And during that time, I didn't just sit around. I did a lot of alternative treatments. I did, um, I drove to Tulsa two or three times a week, which is about an hour and a half drive and got I, vitamin C IV therapy, and I did foot detox baths. I did um, a lot of supplements, all kinds of things that um, uh, I was told may help. So I was still continuing. I was trying to treat it a different way. But then between mm-hmm. MRIs, it showed that it had grown 25%. It be, you know, between, like, I think it was three or four months. So I had already promised my family that if it grew, then I would consider surgery. <laughs> so at that point, we decided to um, do surgery. 
You know, Kelly, I was reading your book that you wrote, uh, Kelly's Oil, about your dealings with with cannabis, which, by the way, is an excellent book. It was okay. it was inter- very very interesting to read. But in the book, you say before the surgery, you were smelling weird scents. What was that all about? Yes, and that actually um, that actually came after I. I believe I smelled the scents after I had the surgery but, and before okay. I discovered the cannabis. But yeah, after I did the surgery, I went to L.A. and did the surgery out there. Um, and uh, they, they got it all, or, you know, they called it a total resection. So they got all the visible tumor. And so he just, instead of doing chemo or radiation, um, which I don't think I would have done anyway, but he didn't even recommend it. He said, let's just watch and wait, and we'll continue the three-month MRIs. So I went out to L.A. I had surgery on Rick's uh, birthday, mm-hmm. 42nd birthday. I think that's right. And then the next day was our anniversary, and I was in ICU on that mm-hmm. day. But, uh, yeah, we got through that and came back and um, started doing continuing the three-month MRIs for, what, another 10 years? Right, no. And, it, you know, I got pretty used to them just coming out, you know, everything's fine. And then um, I started having those uh, olfactory seizures like you were talking about. I started smelling these strange smells in the middle of the night. And I would wake up. It was almost like almost at 3 o'clock every morning. I'd wake up smelling what smelled like urine. And uh, several times I'd strip the bed sheets thinking my little granddaughter must have peed the bed and and I finally realized she hadn't been there. You know, I just couldn't figure out where the smell was coming up. That it was so strong, it would wake me up. And um, I was on a tumor group <clears throat> from back when I had surgery. And so I um, just kind of was looking through there, and I saw where people did have these, what they call olfactory seizures, where you either smell something or taste. A lot of times it tastes like metal or, or something like that. And people describe uh, smells of either burning metal or um, urine. And so then I figured out, oh, that's what's going on. I'm having a seizure. Kelly, was that related to what you said in your book, that you felt disconnected from your body after the surgery? Um, yes. After the surgery, um, it's kind of hard to explain. <laughs> but I felt very... Um, disconnected and almost like I was there was a vastness around me and I was almost like looking down at everything going on mm-hmm. and I don't know if looking down is quite it was more of an awareness of so much more and I could just see us as little saying the thing, same things over and over again always just repeating what we talk about like our whole lives over and over again in, in living in a little circle, just like all this vastness that we were in this little tiny circle, just going around and around and around saying the same things. I almost knew everything that people were going to say. <laughs> it was very strange um, feeling. Yeah. Was that was kind of like an out of body experience? I guess so. Yeah, I think so. I think somehow I separated from my body during surgery, you know, probably for just my own protection i don't know but mm. not all the way so for a while that carried on for months after that i ended up 
actually doing a ceremony with the, the shaman in the book, Francis, who helped kind of pull me back, ground me back into my body. Interesting. Now, you folks are from Oklahoma, and at the time, uh, cannabis was illegal in Oklahoma. And Rick, you work for the fire department and did the testing on people. And uh, if they were caught, they were fired. And here you guys are uh, using cannabis. You've you've dealt with uh, Kelly's brain tumor and Rick, your prostate issue, which we'll get into uh, in a moment. Tell us the story about how you told uh, Rick and your grown daughter on Christmas Day that you weren't going to have another surgery, but instead were going to use cannabis. Yeah. So after that, I started having those olfactory seizures, I decided to go ahead and go to L.A. I was doing my MRIs here in Oklahoma and just sending my results to my doctor in L.A. Um, but this time I thought, well, I'm having these weird seizures. Maybe I should go back to L.A., use the same equipment and talk to the doctor again. So we went out to L.A. and um, did the MRI. And then he told us, yeah, I see uh, regrowth. And I'm going to take it to the tumor board and we're all going to discuss it and make sure it's what I'm seeing. And so then we went on home and um, so we had, we had already known that there was, and then he, he called me and said, yes, there is regrowth. Um, and so I just, and he, while I was out there for the olfactory seizures, he put me on Timidar, which is an anti-seizure medication. And I had learned from my tumor group that a lot of people just didn't do well on it. They got really angry or, or emotional and depressed. And so I didn't really want to do that. And it wasn't like I was having seizures that were endangering anyone else. Otherwise, I would have done what I needed to do. But if anything, I would have had a heightened awareness rather than a lack of awareness during these seizures. And they were like maybe once or twice, maybe three times a month at most. So anyway, I was looking up on the computer what I could take rather than this Timidar. And that's when I was looking, you know, that's when all the Charlotte's Web was out there. So I started reading about Charlotte's Web for, for um, seizures. And then as I dug deeper, that's when I started seeing things, you know, studies from Spain actually injecting tumors with THC at brain tumors. So, you know, I was thinking, wow, you know, this, this feels right to me. I don't know why it just felt right. But then, you know, we were doing Christmas and that's when my daughter said, mom, what are you going to do? You know, you need to figure out what you're going to do. And that's when I just blurted out and I hadn't told anyone this and I didn't really even know this is what I was going to do really. But that's when I said, well, I'm going to try cannabis treatment. And she looked at me like, what? <laughs> So that's how that happened. <laughs> and what, what was your response, Rick? Uh, I was I was fairly surprised. Um, you know, we, we being in Oklahoma, we're a, a pretty conservative state in general. And uh, like you said, I was the assistant chief at the fire department, and um, my brother was a sheriff, and so <clears throat> I kind of had a, a preconceived idea of cannabis and drugs in general. And so. Um, it was a little concerning, but I also knew Kelly was going to do what Kelly wanted to do. So um, I was going to support that, whatever that was going to be. So what were your next steps then, Kelly? How did you go about um, getting started and stuff if it wasn't legal back then? Well, so um, 
Jillian was from San Francisco, our, my daughter who was visiting for Christmas. And um, so she immediately jumped in. She's our, my planner. So she immediately jumped in to make a plan and had decided pretty quick. She said, okay, instead of me flying home, you know, tomorrow, let's all just jump in the car. I'll cancel my flight and we'll drive to Colorado. Cause I had said, well, maybe Colorado, it's the closest to Oklahoma. And, you know, we'll go check it out there and then just, and then we'll go on to California and see, you know, what was available there. And, you know, we didn't, I didn't know anything about it at this point, <laughs> except just a few things I'd read on the internet. So I was like, okay, let's do this. So we hit the road and went to uh, Colorado and, you know, it was just difficult finding information. We just listened to um, YouTube um, recordings from, you know, doctors and stuff along the way. And the more we learned, the more we thought, wow, this, this could actually work. And so when we got to um, California, we just decided to stay there because um, my daughter's there and our network was there, family and friends. And so I went and got a, um, a California ID, gave up my driver's license, and uh, went to a doctor up in Sebastopol and um, he gave me a medical rec and recommendation. And then we went on search for this stuff called RSO. I had no idea what it was and how to use it. So I asked the doctor, I was like, okay, because he spent a lot of time, a lot of information with me. It wasn't one of these on the street kind of doctors. <laughs> he just spent a lot of time and it was an expensive visit. And in the end, I said, he said, yeah, I think this might work for you. And I said, well, what, what's the protocol? And he's like, well, we don't really know. And so I was like, what? You know, mm -hmm. so, I mean, I was so, it was so naive. naive. I didn't really know um, that it wasn't, I kind of figured California, you know, they've been doing this for years. You know, they know how all this works, but nobody really knew anything. I was really surprised. So I just got this wreck and then we kind of went on our own adventure trying to figure out what to do, what kind of protocol to use. You know, he did say, find this stuff called RSO and use about the size of a grain of rice. And I was like, okay, that's all I left with. <laughs> and so we pretty much went on our own. And then I found um, uh, a guy who had um, helped his throat cancer with it. And so he told me to look up Rick Simpson oil. And he gave me um, some other sites to look into. And this is about the time I found Corey on um facebook mm -hmm. i think you were with two other people corey janet and somebody. Oh, jan yeah okay yeah and so that's when i first discovered even corey's site so corey you go way back with me way back then honey i don't I was even old. remember our first date i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> but she was there and i was always i've sent so many people to her her site and um learned a lot from really Corey's site and a couple of others. And so we went out in San Francisco trying to find this RSO. A lot of uh, bud tenders didn't even know anything about it, which I thought was really strange, but eventually we got it and we started doing the 60 grams in 90 days. Cause that was the only protocol I could find out there. And, um, it was pretty intense. <laughs> yeah. What was your first time like? 
Well, the first time I took it, I was sitting there with my daughter and I was like, well, you got to work up to a gram of this stuff. You know, surely I don't have anything else to do. I'll just start with a gram, which I didn't, thank God. But um, I was like, let's just get on with it, right? <laughs> but um, I did start out with a small amount, probably not as small, definitely not as small as I should have. And uh, so, um, yeah, I had this very strange experience where I was felt, first of all, you know, I was having, I'd never had a seizure before. I'd had those olfactory smells, but I'd never had a physical seizure. But um, because of the high THC, and I figured all this out later, but at this time I had no idea, um, it was causing, you know, muscle jerking, and I couldn't walk, and I felt like I was going through a tunnel, and it just kept getting faster and faster. I could hear people talking around me, but I didn't feel like it was in my body, really. And so I was starting to panic, and I was trying to back crawl in the air, you know, like, whoa, wait, this, I don't want to do this. And then I was thinking, am I dying? You know, what's going on? But I couldn't speak. So it was a very strange experience. And when I got out, I was like, wow, this is very powerful medicine. This is definitely needs to be approached a different way. This was, kind of, this was kind of back before the days where there was a whole lot of awareness about doing rectal dosing, I think. So, yes. so it was a lot more difficult. It was a whole lot more difficult to try and build up to tolerance, et cetera. Yeah. Right, right. And it was um, probably, yeah, months after that is when I started hearing about, actually it was after my treatment because I'd never heard about that, or I definitely would have tried that. Kelly, so you, uh, how long were you on it before you had your all clear diagnosis? So um, the first MRI I had when I started, I had in April, because my doctor, so also while I was there, I set up a whole uh, medical team at UCSF. And so I had an oncologist and a brain surgeon lined out, you know, just as a backup plan. <laughs> And I wanted to be monitored. And so um, the oncologist said, okay, because he knew what we were doing. He said, it looks like it's slow growing. So go ahead and I'll give you three months and we'll do another scan. So I hadn't got up to what the therapeutic dose was with the Rick Simpson protocol as a gram a day yet. So I was really discouraged when I went in to get my MRI because I hadn't gotten up to that point yet. But we did the MRI and he said, well, nothing's changed. He said, that's what we would have expected if you had been on chemo. That would have been great news. So, you know, if you want to continue doing this, you know, I think you have the leeway. But if you have any issues, definitely come in. So uh, we left there, went back, sold our house in Oklahoma, moved to Cal back to San Francisco and did another three month protocol. So it was a total of eight months, mm -hmm. but it took me that long to get up to a gram a day. <laughs> but eventually the last two weeks I was doing two grams a day. Cause I just really was like all in at this point. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we had been doing other things too. We changed our diet. I was doing creative visualization before I got a bit out of bed every morning. I was doing self hypnosis. Uh, we were eating, all organic and alkaline water and apricot, anything I'd ever heard of, mushroom, anything I'd heard of that could kill cancer and tumor cells, I was doing it. <laughs> I was going all in. 
the other big change for us was just um, physical activity. That high dose of THC that Kelly was taking uh, really made her anxious. And so uh, she would start taking it. She'd wake up in the morning at six with an alarm, uh, take her first doses, go back to sleep, and then uh, get up by eight. And uh, I'd have breakfast going. And then by nine, she was pretty anxious and had to start, had to get out of the house. I'd have a backpack all packed up for the day. And we would walk for uh, five to six hours a day just to walk off this uh, anxiety from the high THC she was taking. So we, we lost about 30 pounds each. We were both way overweight and out of shape and uh, ended up really getting in good shape out of the deal. I right. say it feels better, doesn't it? Like I said, I didn't know anything. So I didn't know that it should be um, a, a, um, uh, a ratio. I didn't know about the ratios and never really heard about ratios. I just, whatever I could find, I took. And I, I took sativa, which I didn't know better. So I was on the verge of a panic attack because I was taking really hot and very little uh, uh, CBD, almost pure THC. So, um, you know, I've learned a lot since then. (laughs) But at that time, I had no idea. So I was just on really high, all THC, no CBD. Yeah. Tell us about the, the, the day that you got the all clear. That was after your second round of uh, Rick Simpson. Yeah. And um, well, that's when we got we got this jarbled message from the doctor, um, because I missed his call, and it was a Friday. I think it mm-hmm. was a holiday weekend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was so upset that I missed that. So I had to wait the weekend, and then when I finally got in touch with the doctor, he said, "You know, we just don't see anything." He said, "We see uh, what we think is just scar tissue." but there's, there's nothing else there. And what's interesting about that is the morning when I went in for that last, that MRI, my um, surgeon, brain surgeon had called or his uh, secretary had called and said that she really felt like I should go ahead and come in and schedule another brain surgery. And I said, well, I'm getting ready to go get my MRI right now. I'll call you later. (laughs) And then the great news. So yeah, we were pretty excited. I mean, and really just as shocked probably as anybody, but um, yeah, it was a great day. <laughs> you no, know, it would have to be after dealing with, uh, you know, a brain tumor for well over a decade. Yeah. You find you finally get the all clear. And, uh you know, I guess your mind during that uh, more than a decade of having the tumor was always on the possibility of death. Yes. And now it, I suspect it's flipped over and you've got a new lease on life and your attitude towards life is much different than it was before you were originally diagnosed. Do I have that right? Yes. Mm-hmm. yes Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We were pretty excited. We immediately took a trip, just hit the road and went up to Canada, actually, <laughs> um, just for a road trip. But yeah, it mm-hmm. was it was a whole new lease on life. And these these type of tumors tend to grow back. That's why I had to keep doing the MRIs. So I'm still doing annual MRIs. I just had one this week. I haven't gotten the results yet, but I've had nine MRIs since that one, and they've all been clear. 
Fantastic. Now, Rick, let's uh, deal with your issue. You were having some prostate problems, were you not? Uh, that's true, yes. Uh, I was having an uh, issue with an enlarged prostate. And, of course, the first thing they have you do is check your PSA. And my, mine was significantly elevated. It was um, an 11 and a half. And so um, that got everybody's attention. And after you know seeing what had happened with Kelly, I immediately um, went into the cannabis protocol and uh, started started getting my doses up. That before I even had any other tests done, I you know we had talked about well let's go ahead and get further testing done and see what it's going to turn out as, and then we can start the cannabis. And I just actually just didn't want to wait that long. I, you know, I just wanted to get on the, the medicine as soon as I could, whether I had uh, cancer or not. So I, I did start about maybe two months before I was able to get uh, an MRI scheduled because <clears throat> it just took a while to, to get scheduled. And so I had mm -hmm. done um, maybe two months worth of, of uh, cannabis. And I talked to Corey and she had re recommended the um, the suppositories. So we, we made up some suppositories and I started using those. And at any rate, um, my MRI came out non-cancerous, just uh, a um, enlarged prostate. Mm -hmm. and then my um, the good news was my numbers started going down. Like the, I'm down to a 9.5 now. I just had a PSA just a couple of days ago. And, and so it stabilized and they're they're happy with that and so far everything's gone really well yes so one thing about rick's uh, scan is he had this specialized mri that there's just a few in the country that are for prostate um i forgot what they call that but there happened to be one here in tulsa so we're actually going to mm. fly back out to san francisco but there was one in tulsa but um so when he, his report came back that he didn't have cancer um there they did write in the report that there were some um, non-active nodules mm -hmm. in there. So that made me wonder if those were cancer and he killed them and they're just sitting there now. I don't know. We don't know. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Like what, were, what, what, what is that? <laughs> so I don't know. Well, it's good that you're both, uh, you're both healthy again. It uh, it's interesting. You are from a very conservative state, which was um, very much opposed to the use of cannabis. Uh, that has changed somewhat, I believe, in Oklahoma. Are you surprised uh, that both of you, who were very conservative in this area, are now enthusiastic advocates for cannabis? <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that surprises everybody. Um, it certainly surprises me. I've, I'm just amazed, really, at um, how much potential there is with cannabis and how it's been suppressed all these years. Um, it's really kind of disappointing that our that uh, our political system is, has has done what it's done. At, you know, demonized mm -hmm. it and. Um, I don't know. It's really an eye opener in a lot of different ways, not just the medicine, but also the politics and the um, cause of effects that 
it's happened to so many people because of the legalities of this plant. I remember when uh, we got the news, we were just like, we're going to tell everybody, you know, we're going to tell everybody we'd get in a, a, an Uber and we'd tell the, the driver mm-hmm. everywhere we went, we told everybody that cannabis cure, cures cancer. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so we were spreading the news like crazy and uh when we come to oklahoma and start telling people about it if we were in public people would get real nervous because you know all of a sudden somebody's talking to them about marijuana you know, out in public and you, it was such a, a contrast from living in california where it was so open and uh accepted uh it was it was i don't know it was an interesting time for sure things have changed a lot in oklahoma since then we have um, a pretty high penetration rate as far as participation rate in, on uh, uh, cannabis use in, in Oklahoma compared to a lot of the other con- part of the country, I think. But uh, nonetheless, there's still a lot of people, not just in this state, but all over the country that don't understand that there's a true medical benefit to this plant. Yeah, it's not only in the States. It's, I think it's everywhere in the world. People really... Um have a lack of knowledge about the medicinal value of cannabis. And I think that's rather unfortunate because we sell so many other things that are cancer-causing. And uh, cannabis is cancer-preventing. And nobody's ever died from it, which is remarkable. And can you imagine how many people die each day from alcohol abuse? Right. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, thanks for doing this, guys. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, Kelly, how can people get a hold of your book? So my book's for sale on Amazon. And I'd also like to, to mention that when we came back to Oklahoma, we, after we left uh, San Francisco, we went out to the mountains and bought a house in the Sierra Nevada, California. And we mm-hmm. lived there until it became legal in Oklahoma. And then we came back here and we started a uh, processing and a cultivation business so that we could bring the medicine back here to, to you know, our community and friends. So yeah. that's what we're doing now is we're um, in the business and making FICO and um, tinctures. Well, we wish you well, guys, and uh, thanks for doing this, and all the best in the future. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, we appreciate all the work you're doing, uh, getting the word out. And, um, of course, Corey, you're helping people every day uh, just to be able to talk to you and to get the information that you've acquired. It's just been a real blessing for us. We really appreciate what you guys are doing. Before we go, I want to let our listeners know that you can help us spread the word about the amazing, often life-saving health benefits of cannabis just by sharing the podcast, writing a review, or rating us. We very much appreciate uh, the help of everyone who's done that already. And we really like the five-star ratings. We'd also like to thank those of you who support the show by making a one-time donation or a monthly donation on our Patreon page, which you can do for as little as $5 a month. It helps to keep us running. You'll find out how to do that on our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com. Thank you for your support. It means so much to us. And we'll be back again next week with another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. Thanks for listening to Cannabis Health Radio. For more information and to search previous podcasts, visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com. 
subscribe so you don't miss new episodes. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This podcast is made possible by donations from our listeners. If you found the information helpful, please consider making a donation in any amount through our website. You can also help us share our message by leaving a review on your podcast listening platform. We are very grateful for your support. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, my name is Leah Babrudi, and I'm the founder and host of Cannachicks Podcast, where I discuss cannabis, psychedelics, and other natural medicines. I not only interview people who use them as treatment for different conditions, but also the entrepreneurs who share their knowledge on how they built their businesses. If this sounds interesting to you, give my show a listen. I'm sure you'll learn something that'll surprise you.